Welcome to the History of Christianity podcast with Stephen Bedard. One of the most influential church fathers of the second century is that of Irenaeus. Irenaeus was born in Smyrna in Asia Minor around 130 AD and probably died around 202 AD. He's often called Irenaeus of Lyon because he was the bishop of that city in France, although it was called Lugdunum at the time. Part of Irenaeus's popularity likely comes from his apostolic connection. While born too late to have known any of the apostles, he had known Polycarp of Smyrna, who we looked at in episode 32, who had been a follower of John. This line from John to Irenaeus was important for those who valued the uncorrupted transmission of orthodox theology. Irenaeus lived through the persecutions of the emperor Marcus Aurelius, which we will get into in a later episode as we look at the Roman emperors of the second century. According to Eusebius, Irenaeus succeeded the martyr Pothinius and became the second bishop of Lyon. Much of his work was in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the faith. His most famous work is Against Heresies, which largely dealt with Gnosticism, which we looked at in episode 42. Previously, Irenaeus had also responded to the heresy of Montanism. This is as good a time as any to speak of that particular movement. Like most heresies, it was named after its founder, in this case, Montanus. We don't exactly know when Montanus was active, but it was somewhere in the mid-2nd century. His career seems to begin in a village in Mycenae in Asia Minor, modern Turkey. He began to prophesy, claiming to be inspired by the Holy Spirit. By prophecy, I don't mean that so-and-so is going to get a new job. It was things like predicting the location of the New Jerusalem. Montanus gathered to him two women, Prisca and Maximilla, who also claimed to prophesy by the Holy Spirit. This created division in the church. It's not that the Montanists had heretical views of the nature of Jesus. Rather, it was the claims of divine inspiration at a time when the church was still young and trying to build itself on a strong theological foundation. There are many parallels between Montanists and modern Pentecostals. Not that I'm calling Pentecostals heretics. Rather, the Montanists practiced spontaneous ecstatic prophecy similar to Pentecostals and received some of the same backlash that the Pentecostals received from more theologically conservative church leaders. But back to Irenaeus. We don't have a whole lot of information about his life and what he did. We don't know the date of his death. The last thing that we know is that near the end of the second century, Irenaeus put pressure on Pope Victor I to not excommunicate Christian communities in Asia Minor who were deemed to be celebrating Easter on the wrong day. And speaking of early popes, I do plan on doing an episode on the popes of the first two centuries. What we lack in biographical data is made up for in his writings. Two of the surviving books by Irenaeus are The Demonstration of the Apostolic Preaching and Against Heresies. Here's a short sample from his apostolic preaching. Here, first of all, is seen that the Son of God pre-existed from the fact that the Father spake with him, and before he was born revealed him to men, 
and next, that he must needs be born a man among men, and that the same God forms him from the womb, that is, that of the Spirit of God, he should be born, and that he is Lord of all men, and Savior of them that believe on him, both Jews and others. For the people of the Jews is called Israel in the Hebrew language, from Jacob their father, who was the first to be called Israel, and Gentiles he calls the whole of mankind, and that the son of the father calls himself servant, this is on account of, sub of his subjection to the father. For among men also every son is servant of his father. That Christ then, being son of God before all the world, is with the father, and being with the father, is also nigh and close and joined unto mankind, and is king of all, because the father has subjected all things unto him, and savior of them that believe on him. Such things do the scriptures declare, for it is not feasible and possible to enumerate every scripture in order, and from these you may understand the others also which have been spoken in like manner, believing in Christ, and seeking understanding and comprehension from God, so as to understand what has been spoken by the prophets. Here's a sample from Against Heresies that gives his explanation for why there are four Gospels. It's a fairly lengthy passage, but I think it'll give you a good sense of Irenaeus' theological style. It is not possible that the Gospels can be either more or fewer in number than they are. For since there are four zones of the world in which we live, and four principal winds, while the church is scattered throughout all the world, and the pillar and ground of the church is the gospel and the spirit of life, it is fitting that she should have four pillars, breathing out immortality on every side, and vivifying men afresh. From which fact it is evident that the word, the artificer of all, he that sits upon the cherubim and contains all things, he who was manifested to men, has given us the gospel under four aspects, but bound together by one spirit. As also David says when entreating his manifestation, You that sits between the cherubim shine forth. For the cherubim, too, were four-faced, and their faces were images of the dispensation of the Son of God. As the scripture says, The first living creature was like a lion, symbolizing his effectual working, his leadership and royal power. The second living creature was like a calf, signifying his sacrificial and sacerdotal order. But the third had, as it were, the face as of a man, an evident description of his advent as a human being. The fourth was like a flying eagle, pointing out the gift of the Spirit hovering with his wings over the church, and according to John, relates his original, effectual, and glorious generation from the Father, also declaring, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Also, all things were made by him, and without him was nothing made. For this reason, too, is that gospel full of all confidence, for such is his person. But that according to Luke, taking up his priestly character, commence with Zacharias, the priest, offering sacrifice to God. For now was made ready the fatted calf, about to be emoliated, for the finding again of the younger son. 
Matthew again relates his generation as a man, saying, The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, and also the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. This, then, is the gospel of his humanity, for which reason it is, too, that the character of a humble and meek man is kept up through the whole gospel. Mark, on the other hand, commences with a reference to the prophetical spirit coming down from on high to men, saying, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, as it is written in Isaiah, the prophet, pointing to the winged aspect of the gospel. And on this account, he made a compendious and cursory narrative, for such is the prophetical character. And the word of God himself, used to converse with the anti-Mosaic patriarchs in accordance with his divinity and glory. But for those under the law, he instituted a sacerdotal and liturgical service. Afterwards, being made man for us, he sent the gift of the celestial spirit over all the earth, protecting us with his wings. Such then as was the course followed by the Son of God. So was also the form of the living creatures and such as was the form of the living creatures, so was also the character of the gospel. For the living creatures are quadriform, and the gospel is quadriform, as is also the course followed by the Lord. For this reason were four principal covenants given to the human race, one prior to the deluge under Adam, the second that after the deluge under Noah, the third, the giving of the law under Moses. The fourth, that which renovates man and sums up all things in itself by means of the gospel, raising and bearing men upon its wings into the heavenly kingdom. And that is what we have for Irenaeus. Irenaeus was extremely influential on later church fathers, especially in the role of apologetics. Irenaeus has been sainted in some of the traditions of the Christian church. Thank you for listening to this episode. Please visit me at my website, historyofchristianitypodcast.com, and find me on Twitter and Facebook. You can support me at Patreon by going to patreon.com slash hopesreason. You can also download a free audiobook with a free trial of Audible at audibletrial.com slash hopesreason. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash hopesreason. Thank you, and God bless.